Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Thank you for joining us today for worship here at the Vista. If you have your Bibles with you, we're going to be in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 4 today. Gospel of Luke, chapter 4. You can begin to turn there. We're in the second week of our series, Jesus According to Luke. As Austin mentioned last week, we're going to be walking through this gospel through much of the spring semester. It'll take us through Easter and a few weeks after Easter. Um, And Austin talked a little bit last week about sort of our preaching calendar and how we try to have a a diversity when it comes to teaching. Sometimes we'll do topical series that are very, you know, of the moment, things we need to really talk about um, that we feel like God's kind of laid on our hearts. Um, Sometimes we'll follow the church calendar, particularly around holiday seasons. We'll, We'll get into series that specifically deal with, you know, Christmas or Easter or whatever, but... Uh, Sometimes, this is really my favorite, is when we just walk through books of the Bible. Um, It sort of causes us to deal with things we might otherwise just rather avoid. Um, It helps us get more familiar with the Word of God. And so I love uh, teaching, preaching through books of the Bible. And that's what we're going to be doing uh, through a lot of this spring semester. Before we get into the text, I want to talk specifically a little bit about Luke. Um, Luke is uh, really a unique gospel. Um, It's really Luke. We owe a a lot of what we know about Christianity from the early days, um, even through the birth of the church, to Luke. Um, Luke writes a unique gospel. He has the most comprehensive birth narrative of all of the gospels. Much of the Christmas season, what we read, all comes from the gospel of Luke. Um, Not only does he then follow the ministry of Jesus, uh, the teachings of Jesus, the death, resurrection of Jesus, Luke also wrote the book of Acts. And so all of the the launch of the church, the early church, uh, what we have recorded is from Luke. Luke uh, was an associate of the Apostle Paul. He traveled with the Apostle Paul as Christianity began to spread. Paul would go to these different towns and he would plant churches. Luke was right there with him through much of that. Uh, Luke was a physician by trade. He was a doctor, which is really good for Paul, right? Because if you get beaten up as much as Paul did... Pretty good to have a doctor on your team traveling right along with you, right? Um, Luke was also a historian. He was a meticulous historian, uh, paid very close attention to a lot of detail. Um, So Luke was not um, one of the disciples who was right there with Jesus. Luke, as he writes, he would have interviewed people that knew Jesus. He would have interviewed the disciples. He would have interviewed Mary, the mother of Jesus, He would have interviewed those that were healed when Jesus performed miracles. Luke would have uh, been someone that that carefully held interviews and wrote these things down. And then he puts his gospel together in a a really unique way after doing his homework. Luke was also a Gentile. The Apostle Paul talks about Luke among the uncircumcised group, which means he was not Jewish. And so as far as we know, Luke uh, may have been the only non-Jewish, non-Hebrew author of Scripture at all. And um, since he was Gentile, his, his gospel is written to Gentiles. His gospel was really written to outsiders. Luke's gospel, more than any other, shows Jesus' particular affinity for those that are, that are outsiders, for Gentiles, for tax collectors. He, 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 he has a high regard in his gospel for children and women and, and, and really all of those that society would have said are, are less than. Luke's gospel really highlights them, really shows that. 
And so Luke's gospel is such a beautiful and unique look at the life and ministry of Jesus. I'm excited about about tracking along with that this spring. I hope you are too. We always invite you to bring your Bibles with you uh, every Sunday as we look through that. If you don't have a Bible, we have some available for you to use. As always, we'll throw the words up on the really big screen behind me, um, but always want to encourage you to be familiar and get familiar with with your Bible. So last week, we saw the baptism of Jesus. Okay? It's kind of the starting point of his ministry. Austin talked about uh, Jesus was baptized by his kind of weird cousin, John the Baptist, you know, and that starts the ministry. And then we get into chapter 4, and we're going to look at the first 13 verses, and this is uh, the temptation of Jesus. Right after his baptism, he's led into the wilderness for 40 days to be tempted. Here's what uh, Luke records for us about that. It says, And Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days. And when they were ended, he was hungry. And the devil came to him and he said, if you are the son of God, command this stone to become bread. Jesus answered him, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. And the devil took him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time and said to him, To you I will give all this authority and their glory, for it has been delivered to me, and I give it to whom I will. If you then will worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus answered him, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. And he took him to Jerusalem, and he set him up on the pinnacle of the temple, and he said to him, if you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written. He will command his angels concerning you to guard you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. So there we have Luke recording for us the temptation of Jesus. And I want to just kind of start by pointing out the fact that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And so a little caveat here, a little just to kind of get you started, I want you to to just be reminded, we believe in being Spirit-filled, we believe in being Spirit-led, okay? If you belong to Jesus, you have the Holy Spirit of God living inside of you, and, and we're all about the Holy Spirit. But you need to see that the Holy Spirit, being led by the Spirit and guided by the Spirit, doesn't always mean... The Holy Spirit is going to lead you and guide you in the path of least resistance. The Holy Spirit is not always going to lead you where it's easy and where it's comfortable and where there's not a lot of trials and difficulty and temptation and struggle, okay? That is one of those things that sometimes gets preached is, you know, if you're really following the Spirit, He will make your path a lot easier. But that's not true. Sometimes the Spirit leads us into seasons, into difficult seasons maybe, for our good and often for the benefit of other people that may not be as comfortable for us. So the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness where he is tempted continually for 40 days. He's tempted continually. Verse 13 reminds us that he he endured every temptation is what it says. Every temptation. So the reason I mention that is there's a, sometimes when I'm talking about the temptation of Jesus, there's two things that often get brought up to sort of push back against this. Uh, one is um, that Jesus, you know, he was God. So you hear that sometimes. Well, of course, you know, he could endure temptation. He was God, right? But I want to remind you, Jesus never used his divinity 
for his own ease or his own comfort or his own well-being. Never, not one time. He didn't, he didn't sort of use his divinity to make things easier. Jesus used his divinity for the benefit and the blessing of other people, always. Uh, we're told in Scripture, every indication is that he suffered as we suffer. He grew hungry like we grow hungry. He grew tired like we grow tired. He was tempted in every way as we are tempted, okay? So before you pull the he was God card, you need to understand, according to Scripture, Jesus never used his divinity. He laid his divinity aside so that he could walk in humanity like we did. The only time he used his divinity for miracles, and that was always for the benefit and the blessing of other people, not to make his own life more easy or more comfortable, okay? And then the second thing that we often hear when it comes to temptation is, I mean, well, he was only tempted three times. I mean, I'm tempted more than three times before I have my first cup of coffee in the morning, right? Like, that seems like junior varsity stuff right there. What you need to understand is Jesus, uh, according to this, was, was tempted continually for 40 days. Luke records three specific temptations, but it says very clearly he was tempted for 40 days. And then at the end of all of that, the devil said, and it goes on into three specific ones. It doesn't mean these were the only temptations of Jesus. In fact, at the very end of the text that we just read, it says that Satan departed from him, the last thing, until an opportune time, which means later on, there was more temptation. Again, Jesus walked in humanity like we do as well. He was tempted as we are, as we are. And so you need to know that. Listen, everybody deals with temptation. Temptation is real. It's a part of life. There's not a person that's ever walked the face of the planet that has not been tempted, that, does, that is not tempted, including Jesus. And what we're told is that the Spirit leads Jesus into the wilderness, and there's a purpose, there's a point here, so that he would be tempted in every way as we are, Okay? So he can relate, he can sympathize with us. Again, we don't have a God who's distant. We have a God who knows us. He knows our struggle. He's been where we are. So specifically, here are the three temptations that Luke mentions, okay? The first one is uh, physical appetites, physical urges, okay? Let's be honest. A lot of our temptations, they, they, they center around our physical desires, our physical urges, our physical uh, you know, no weaknesses, okay? To meet some physical urge or, or need. That's what happens first, okay? Okay. Um, Basically, he hadn't eaten. He's hungry. Physical need. Satan's like, hey, uh, you know, make these stones turn into bread. Now, just to be clear, Jesus could have done that. A little bit later, he turns water into wine. He could have turned stones into bread if he wanted to. If you're hungry, is it sinful to eat bread? The answer is no. I love bread. Unless you're on some specific diet, no, right? Bread is good. So what's the problem here? What's the temptation? Well, number one, it was Satan that was commanding him to do something. It's always a sin when you follow Satan. There's a really deep note for you. Put that in your journal. Don't follow Satan, okay? Good pastoral note. It's always a sin when Satan's telling you something to do for you to do that. And so Satan's commanding Jesus, and Jesus, uh, he's tempted with those physical desires to meet that physical need. The second way that he's tempted is material things, okay? Takes him up and says, hey, look at all this stuff, Health and wealth and prosperity, it can all be yours if you just worship me. Tempted with material things, right? This is a constant temptation, right? I'll admit, I, I'm tempted by material things. I see stuff and I go, hmm, I want that. Do you need it? No, nah, not really, but I want that, right? I mean, that's, we struggle with material things. Jesus was tempted as we are with material stuff, and then the third way he was tempted was to demonstrate his power, to kind of show off a little bit. Um, really, it's an, it's an issue, a temptation of pride. 
ah, just throw yourself down. Let's see what you can do. Let's, let's see the, the, the tricks and the mad. Let's see it, you know. Just demonstrate for everybody. We're all tempted with pride a little bit. Brag. Here's what I can do. Look, what, look at what I can do. We're all tempted with this kind of boastful pride of life. And so the three specific ways, they're kind of all encompassing for the ways that we struggle, right? Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and then pride, pride of life. So make no mistake, Jesus was tempted in every way, the Bible says, just as we are. He was tempted by pleasure, power, fame, security, comfort, health, wealth, ease, all of the ways in which you and I are tempted. The Bible's going to tell us that Jesus himself was also tempted. We're all tempted. And so since we're all tempted, since temptation is a reality, what are a couple things we need to, we need to understand about temptation to get us started, all right? First thing is this. Uh, we know that temptation itself is not a sin, okay? Temptation itself is not a sin. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. Hebrews 4, verse 15 says, For we do not have a high priest, that's speaking of Jesus, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin, Okay? yet without sin. So this is important because you're going to be tempted and some people feel a lot of guilt and shame just based on temptation. Man, this thing always tempts me. You need to know temptation itself is not a sin. Um, A great Puritan author named Thomas Brooks, um, he said that temptation is nothing more than the bait on the hook. Temptation is the bait on the hook. Satan wants to dangle the bait in front of you and get you to bite. And then he can get you hooked and he can reel you in to a slow death. Sin leads to death. Satan wants to get you to bite the hook. When I was growing up, I went to my grandfather's farm, and we used to fish in his stock tank. And depending on the kind of fish we wanted to catch, we would use different bait. If we wanted to catch some perch, you know, we would throw a, catch a grasshopper, put the grasshopper on the hook, throw it out there. And there was no patient fishing. I didn't have a lot of patience, man. If that, if that perch didn't bite that thing in like a matter of seconds... I was like, man, this grasshopper's not working. I could catch me a different grasshopper, right? Perch all over the place. If we wanted to catch catfish, he would often throw corn out in the tank, and those catfish would come up and eat that corn. So if we wanted to catch catfish, we'd put some corn on a, on a triple hook, and we'd throw it out there, and, and that's what the catfish would eat. If we wanted to catch a bass, we would maybe throw a, a soft plastic worm and drag it across or whatever, and we'd catch some bass. And so I remember asking my grandfather when I was little, why do we use different bait? And he simply said, Different fish like different bait. Different fish like different bait. And, and listen, when it comes to temptation, the same is true for you and for me, right? Different fish like different bait. There's something that's going to get us. There's something that Satan's going to dangle in front of us that is enticing. And that's important to remember because what happens often is if, if the bait that someone else struggles with is not our thing, we can often stand in a little bit of condemnation and judgment of that, right? You ever hear... I mean, I can't believe you struggle with that. Like that, why do you, I can't believe that person struggles with that thing. I mean, that's just, when it's not your struggle and it's not your battle, it's easy to look at the struggle or the battle of someone else and sort of uh, feel like you're, you're above that thing. But, but you need to know that maybe the thing that, that gets you, maybe the thing Satan's dangling in front of you is something that, that's not really their struggle, okay? Satan is cunning, he's crafty, he's a liar. He puts stuff in front of us that's going to entice us to get us to take the bait. And if he can get us to take the bait, he can set the hook and he reels us in, right? That's the, that's the imagery that we get. Temptation is the bait on the hook. It, in and of itself, it's not a sin. In fact, often what Satan tempts us with are not bad things in and of themselves. They're not evil or wicked. 
A lot of the stuff he will tempt us with are good things, maybe even God-given things, but when used in the wrong context, become really bad things. You've got to know what it is that baits your hook. What does Satan use to entice you? The second big overarching point we need to remember according to Scripture, since we all face temptation, is that escape is always possible, okay? Escape is always possible. God provides for us a way out. 1 Corinthians chapter 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 13 and 14. Paul writes this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. It's very important. Whatever it is you struggle with, whatever the bait on the hook is for you, you need to realize you're not alone. You're not the first person to struggle with it. You're not the last person to struggle with it. There are other people that wrestle with and struggle with that same thing, okay? Paul's telling everybody. Sometimes when you're being tempted and there's this struggle, you can feel like, man, I'm the only one that deals with this. You're not. There's no temptation that's not common to man. And then he says, God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may may be able to endure it, okay? God's going to provide an opportunity. God's going to provide a way of escape. Now, here's the thing I know about escape. I love watching movies where there's like a great escape, whether it's like a, a war movie and POWs escaping or like a prison movie and they're getting out of prison or whatever. And it's like, what's fascinating about those kind of movies is um, it, there's usually a pretty good plan involved, right? There's usually a pretty elaborate plan. That's the thing about if you're going to make your escape, man, you got to have a plan. You got to be prepared for it. You got to be ready. If you just kind of stumble upon temptation and you're not prepared and you're not ready and you haven't been proactive, if you're just trying to be reactive all the time, it's going to be really hard in the moment to get out of that. You got to have a plan. You got to be prepared. You got to be proactive. And so that's, uh, I got three things for you in the short time that I have left. Looking at the temptation of Jesus, what can we pull from the temptation of Jesus to help kind of our escape plan? How can we be prepared? Well, First thing is this, Austin touched on it last week, but if you want to resist temptation, you need to know your identity. You need to know your identity. You need to be rooted in Christ. You need to be rooted in who Christ says that you are, your identity, because I promise you Satan will constantly try to get you to question your identity. The Bible says that if you are, uh, you've placed your faith in Jesus, that you are a son, you are a daughter of a holy God. You've been adopted into his family. You're a new creation in Christ. You're not who you once were. You're completely new and you belong to Jesus. You belong to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Satan doesn't have a dominion or power or authority over you any longer. That's who Jesus says that you are, but he will constantly try to get you to question whether that's true or not. Now look, two different times in the temptation of Jesus, verse three and verse nine, Satan does the same thing with, with Jesus. Did you catch that? He says, verse 3, if you are the Son of God, see how subtle that is? Austin said this last week, Jesus comes up out of the water at his baptism, voice from heaven says, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. That's his identity. Beloved Son, well pleased. And that's our identity. Beloved Son, beloved daughter. It's not based on our achievement. God is pleased with you. as a a son or daughter of him. But several times in the temptation of Jesus, Satan's trying to get him to to question that identity. That's what Satan does. 
Do you really belong to Jesus? Are you really his son or daughter? I know what you did last week. Are you sure you're loved? Are you sure you're forgiven? Are you really a Christian? You see how Satan does? Cunning, crafty. If Satan can get us to question our identity, then he's going to get us to take the bait. Because our actions, the decisions we make, the choices that we live with, they flow out of our identity. They flow out of our identity. So the first thing, to be prepared, to be ready, is to, is to, is to know your identity. Know who you are in, in Christ. You are who God says you are, not who Satan whispers that you are. The second thing is don't be isolated. Don't be isolated. Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness. And again, we've already talked about it. There was a specific reason and a purpose for that. He needed to be tempted so that he could be our great high priest who sympathizes with us, who knows what we're going through, who is tempted in every way as we are tempted. But let's be honest, the times you're tempted the most are probably times when you have sort of withdrawn from other people and you're a bit isolated. Whenever you're isolated, temptation is much harder to resist. It's much stronger. So we see from the text. When Jesus got alone, the temptation comes really, really hard. That's the way it is for you and for me. So we need to not be isolated. Now, I want to be careful because isolation is different than solitude, okay? Solitude is good. Moments or seasons where you kind of get away, spend time with the Lord to refresh. Jesus had moments where he went up on a mountain by himself to pray or early in the morning or he took a day off. Or Listen, there's moments of solitude for refreshing and reviving and filling are really, really good. It's a spiritual discipline that we probably should practice periodically. But isolation is different. Isolation is when you remove yourself from community, from specifically Christian community. Isolation means you don't have a lot of Christian friends. Isolation means nobody really knows where you struggle. Isolation means nobody really knows the bait that tends to entice you. I said it this way in the first service that all of us, all of you, need people in your life that know the bait that Satan tends to use to entice you. People need to know, Christian friends around you need to know the bait that tends to get you. You need that community. Community is vital in the struggle against temptation. And so don't be isolated. Don't be isolated. Isolation, bad. Solitude, good, right? Don't remove yourself from community. People need to know you. The problem in our world today is that we have, you know, Dozens and dozens and dozens of like Facebook and Instagram friends, but no real ones. So we got people that see us kind of on a surface level, but listen, they don't, they don't know what baits my hook. They don't know what baits my hook. And so you need to have community with people that know you. It's why we push small groups and Bible studies and things, because it's so important in the fight and the struggle against temptation. The final thing um, that you see in the temptation of Jesus as a great weapon against temptation is, is Scripture. Use Scripture as a weapon. That's what Jesus does every time. Satan tempts him. Every single time, Jesus says, it is written. It is written. Now, specifically, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy. I would submit to you that if our ability to resist temptation hinged on how much we know about and can quote Deuteronomy, we're all in a lot of trouble, right? Some of you didn't even know Deuteronomy was a book of the Bible, all right? It's in there. It's early on in the Bible, right? But that's what Jesus, he quotes Deuteronomy. Now, I'm not saying memorize Deuteronomy, but I am saying Scripture is to be used as a weapon in the fight. It is written. Use Scripture. Over and over and over again, the Bible declares this about itself, that it is a weapon to be used. 
Psalm uh, 119 verse 11 is a good one. The psalmist says, I have stored up your word in my heart. Why? I mean, why, why store up the word? Why read the word? Why study the word? Why memorize the word? Why store it up in your heart? Well, that I might not sin against you. The whole reason we want to get to know the, the word and know God, it, listen, it's, it's about, I don't, want, I don't want to sin anymore. I don't want to take the hook. When Paul writes about the, the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6, he says, put on the full armor of God so you can withstand Satan's fiery darts. One of the, a piece of the armor of God, he says, take up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It's an offensive weapon, man, the word of God. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. We looked at Hebrews 4 a minute ago. A different verse in the same chapter reminds us, for the word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit, joint marrow, discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. The Bible is a weapon. Scripture is a weapon. Use it. Use it. Part of the reason that so many of us struggle with taking the hook time and time and time again, is we just, we just don't know the Bible. We're just not familiar with Scripture. We don't ever read the Word of God. We don't ever read the Word of God. And again, I know this is like super deep. You came to church and your pastor says, read the Bible. But it's pretty, it's, sometimes it's just that simple, right? Like some of you this year, you need to make this commitment to get into the Word, to get more familiar with the Word. You know, read it. Join a Bible study group. Go to a small group. Begin to unpack the Word. If you've been doing that for a while, start to memorize some text and memorize some passages. And we need to be people that are familiar with the Word of God because it is a great weapon against temptation. That's what Jesus uses. Jesus uses this great, this great weapon. The last thing I want to say, my time's really up, is I need to just mention this because the, the reality is hopefully, hopefully we can have the escape plan, right? Like, it's like hopefully we can be prepared, be proactive. You know, we can, we can know our identity rooted in Jesus. We can, we can use that. Hopefully, you know, we can not be isolated and understand community is vital in the fight. Hopefully we can get familiar with the word of God and use that as a weapon in the struggle. But I also need, you know, let's be real. Sometimes, sometimes we, we take the bait, don't we? I mean, sometimes we take the bait. Sometimes we bite the hook and Satan starts reeling. Man, he just starts reeling. Listen, the good news, the good news is this beautiful thing called the gospel where Jesus goes to a cross and he dies on a cross in your place for your sin. It was Jesus sacrificing and substituting himself so that you could get off that hook. The good news is there's always a way off the hook through repentance, through the grace of God in Christ. He went to a cross and he died. And what seemed like the greatest defeat in human history was actually the greatest victory of all time where Jesus gets sinners off the hook. And so if you've taken the bait, listen, it's okay because of the gospel. It's okay because of what Jesus has done for you. That's the good news. Repentance and the grace of God gets you off. But temptation is real. One of the reasons I, I love to kind of, I'll, I'll do a plug for Regen here. Regen's a ministry we have on Monday nights. And I love Regen, I love, uh, I love what they do because if you have a, a struggle, if you have a, a temptation that's constant, if you have a stronghold or an addiction of some sort in your life, Regen, is, Regen reinforces basically everything that I'm saying. Regen is going to start with your identity being in Jesus, being rooted in him. Regen's gonna talk about community and the importance of community in the struggle. Regen is a great resource, it's a great tool for you. So if you struggle with that and you wanna join Monday nights, anyone can come at any time. 
It's just a, it's a, it's a way to help you with this, with all this stuff. The struggle is real, as they say. We're all tempted. So know your identity. Don't be isolated. And use Scripture as, as a great weapon. That's what Jesus did. Let's pray together. Father, we are grateful this morning um, that you're a God who, who knows us, who sympathizes with our weaknesses and our struggle, Jesus, because you have been there. You have been tempted in every way just as we are tempted. And yet you were without sin, and, and that, gives a lot, that gives all of us a lot of hope. That, that God, you're, you're good and you're faithful, that you provide this way out. So Lord, I pray today as we are tempted that we, um, that we would be able to have that escape plan. We'd be able to be prepared, to be proactive rather than just reactive in the struggle. God, I pray for those today that are maybe just questioning their identity, where Satan's kind of whispering in their ear, would you remind Remind them today of who they are in you. Remind them their identity as a son or daughter of a holy God. God, for those that are kind of isolated, they just don't have a lot of really Christian friends, I pray you help them to take those steps today into community. And God, for all of us, I pray that we would be able to know and read and study and memorize and really familiarize ourselves with your word. Again, to use that as a weapon in the fight. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.